Good. It's good to see you all this morning. We've got a great crowd over at the multipurpose room as well. I'm so glad that last week so many of you were able to be here when Reverend Kelly Pope preached. We had heard he was going to be doing the baptism or uh, uh, leading the baptism last week, so I'd asked him if he'd preach because he's such an important part of our church family, but also he was an important part of this and about the, uh, the building of the sanctuary. So it was great to hear from him, and I hope you continue to think about the, his sermons on YouTube, so I'd encourage you to go there uh, for Mark's gospel. And that's where we are again today. Listen, I cheated, all right? I said we were done with Jesus' middle ministry sermon series, but I read a passage this week uh, in our Bible reading plan. It's a three-year plan to read the Bible through. And in Mark chapter 6, there was a passage I just couldn't get away from. I've never preached from this passage before, uh, but I want us to dive in here. And listen, we're not going to see a whole lot about Jesus. It's really Herod recollecting what he had done, feeling guilt over that and recollecting what he had done. But I will say, this does say a lot about Jesus. And I want to I say something briefly before we get into what's a very tough sermon and, and some calls for a very, a very tough response from Christ's followers. But hear this moment of sweetness. In the horror of this recollection, this moment where Jesus was told that John the Baptist had died. This, he, had, he had been told this is what happens when truth confronts political power. This is what happens when you come and, and talk about real repentance to people. You get snuffed out. And what Mark tells us in this entire gospel, as we've said before, this whole, this whole gospel's a race to get to the cross. And yet Jesus has been confronted by, with, with somebody who, not only that he loves, but he has said himself, there's been no one born of a woman better than this man, and they killed him. Maybe I should know. There's no blinking, there's no flinching, because John tells us in chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He would not be deterred. He went straight to the cross for you and for me. He went and gave himself, didn't, didn't budge, didn't flinch. So what's here for us then? What do we see in this moment with Herod? What can we what can we learn from in this passage? Well, let's go together first to verse 16. Three words I want to give you this morning. One is confusion. And there was certainly confusion about spiritual things, not just with Herod, but really everybody around him when they're talking about the death of John the Baptist, but not just his death, could he be raised from the dead? Is that somehow what's going on with Jesus? Now, if you look in verse 15, some people said, well, maybe he's one of two people. Maybe he's Elijah. Now listen, that's a good guess because there's prophecies about that. And even when they would eat Passover together to this day, you leave a chair for Elijah. You put a cup of wine out for Elijah. You have one of the children run to the front door and open it and see, did Elijah come back, the forerunner, when, when God's going to come and, and redeem his people? There's always some little bit of truth in heresy. There's always some little nugget, kernel of truth in confusion. And so, so they have some... Now again, I don't know how you put that together though, that somehow that's Elijah come back from... John who was killed, or even one of the prophets. Yes, but 
Yes, he teaches with authority, and we haven't seen them for three to 400 years, but how, how, is, how is Jesus that? And then you get even deeper confusion when you get to what Herod says and really what the people are thinking in verse 14, but what we catch Herod saying over and over again well, this must be, if I'm hearing these reports of what Jesus is doing, the demons are being exercised and people are being healed, that must be John the Baptist has risen from the dead. Which again adds to crazy confusion because we know of the Matthew interaction that Jesus says back to John and they're interacting together at the baptism and here, hey, the blind, are, uh, the blind have sight and on and on about what he's doing. How could it be that John the Baptist is raised. See how confusing this gets. I'm having trouble saying it. But yet we know Jesus was born at Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, and there was all kinds of reports about him, yet somehow Herod can hold something that's contradictory, even silly in his mind, that must be what it is. John the Baptist is back. And it's a word for us, church. We live in a culture that has no problem taking some things from Christianity but then also borrowing from other faiths. And maybe we've been guilty of that too. And it's a day for us to say, I want to be pure in my doctrine. I only want to think what is biblical doctrine. Because it is a common temptation then to be carried away with weird ideas and really even superstition. We've got a couple of professional baseball players in our church, former players, so I have to be really careful about that. But if they're true about who they are, they know that they're sur- our, 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 our guys would never do this. Uh, but that is the most superstitious sport in every sport known to man. I mean, you just hear of crazy things. If you ever used to watch Nomar Garcia Parr just try to hit the ball, it took 20 seconds between every hit because he had to go through this superstitious thing, this ritual. Jim Leland, when he was managing the Pirates, they got on a long winning streak. He did not change his boxer shorts for the entire streak, and I'm not going to tell you how long that streak was. Wade Boggs, 150 grounders every time before a game. No more, no less. It's got to be 150. If it's a night game, I take my batting practice at 517. I do not take it at 516. I do not take it at 518. I'm in the box hitting at 517. It's superstitions. My favorite is this pitcher, and I love licorice. He would take four, four sticks of licorice, shove it in his mouth, and he'd go pitch an inning. But he was not only obsessive about his superstition, he was obsessive about his dental care. So then he'd go to the dugout, spit it out, and, and this man brought his toothbrush with him to the dugout and would brush his teeth. And then go get four more sticks of licorice and he went back. It wasn't his physical training or his determination or studying batters. It was four sticks of licorice that made him have these special powers. And so you've got Herod And the people, confused about spiritual things. What about you? What about me? We've got to be careful and to take every thought captive. Pretty much every epistle brings up the importance of right doctrine. It's something that we cannot miss, and he had certainly missed it. Now listen, he had some things right. Look at verse 20. He feared John. He even protected John the Baptist. It even says he enjoyed listening to him, which was really a a Greek and Roman thing to do, to have this kind of vigorous debate and to listen to people on either side just go at it. And I, you know, John the Baptist could bring it. 
And so I'm sure there was part of that where Herod loved to hear it. But you talked about my wife and you're endangering my politics, so you're going to prison. I'm not going to kill you. I fear you. I enjoy listening to you. But you've pulled me aside and corrected me. You're going to get out of the public light. He had some things right. He feared. He enjoyed. But then he imprisoned. Herod, pick a side. Church, pick a side. This reminder in his life that you cannot play with confusion in doctrine. If we play with the things of the world, it will bite us. And John the Baptist pays a heavy price for that here. Herodias was not playing. And because Herod played around, because he had played with John's life, John paid a heavy price. I love telling this story. I know I tell it too much. But my father-in-law was a missionary for years to Brazil, and he loves to fish. Call me. He'd love to come to your lake. Uh, But he loves to fish, and he was out one day, and he saw what he thought was a caiman just kind of bob its head up. A caiman's kind of like a small alligator. Matter of fact, they had somebody in the family. They weren't related, but it was kind of, they called him their crazy uncle. And he had actually talked to Joe about how to wrestle Caymans to get on them and pull their snout back and roll with them and all this. I don't know if Dr. Joe ever did that, but he had known how to do it by the, the crazy uncle. Well, anyways, out by himself fishing one day, and he sees that head bop up. And I'm sure the idea struck him, just like it would strike most guys, right? You've been hearing this story of how to wrestle, and I'm sure it, as he saw that thing pop up again a little closer and closer, I'm sure it crossed his mind. Hey, I'm going to go jump on that thing and get it, and I'll go tell crazy uncle I did it. I'm sure it crossed his mind. He decided, no, I need to go back, get back to the village, say hi to everybody before I leave, and he did. And as he was talking to them, the villager says, we don't have any. We don't have any Caymans in this whole area. That's not what you saw. But what you did see is the anaconda we've been hunting. And when they did kill it, It was never reported. It was in the backwoods of Brazil. But when they did kill it, it broke the world's record. He was being hunted. And I wonder if a playful thought came across his mind. Oh, yeah, I'll I'll get that thing. I'll just play with it. This little caiman. He was being hunted. Whatever weird spiritual theology we hold on to if it's not biblical if it's not of God you play with that and it always hits the streets there are always consequences to that Herodias shows her husband this is revenge this is political and she doesn't play and John gets killed Um, these crowds are confused they don't know how to put things together and they have no problem holding things that are contradictory or confusing church what a gift what a gift to your neighbor, your coworker, to your family, to each other as encouragement when you and I do the hard work. We don't get lax, we don't get lazy, but we do the hard work of being in the Word and being in small group and Sunday school so that we do not get confused by spiritual things. Because when we hold differing beliefs, we hold the world's beliefs, it always plays out and there are consequences. Now, As he's recollecting about this, let's go back to verse uh, uh, 21. He's not only confused, but really he's confounded by the temptations and trials that he's about to face with this girl, but also with what he says in the crowds. 
Um, this is the perfect moment to play him. And Herodias knows it. You know, Bible scholars think she kind of set this up with Salome or Salome, whatever, however you pronounce her name. Mark doesn't report it that way, but there's room for interpretation. She, she set this up. But this is really, if you're of my generation, this is a days of our lives or a Dallas moment, this kind of setup, right? But it's also confusing and weird because it's, if, you're, if, you're, if you're younger, this is a crown or a Downton Abbey moment where you're just like, wait a minute, she's married to him, but their family, okay. Herodias, not just Herod, she's been called out. People are talking. And she's going to be a part of getting him in prison. And we know here that she is going to be quick to say, give me his head. Um, this is a reminder here. If you look in verse 21, depends on your translation. It says opportune time. Maybe it says strategic day. But she had bided her time and this was the chance to strike. Um, and so she says, ask for John. By the way, can I say this again? Every time we bump into scripture, we ought to be encouraged in our faith. Josephus, a historian, not a Christian, but a historian, when he looks at this, he has it put off down by the Dead Sea in, a, in this particular place and says this is where it happened. Mark doesn't say where it happened. But it's interesting. Herodias isn't there. And you know what Josephus says about this place? That there was a men's hall and a women's hall. They've done some excavations there, and they found a men's hall and a women's hall. So Salome, or Salome, she dances here in the men's hall. She gets this word for what she can have because of that dance, and where's Herodias? She's right where archaeology said she should be. She's not in the men's room, the men's hall. She's over here in the women's hall. Every time we dig, y'all, we ought to be encouraged. What the Bible says happened. We ought to be encouraged in our faith. So Salome, she goes and says, Hey, he asked me, I could have up to half the kingdom. I can have whatever I ask for. By the way, it's a great question. It's a very telling question. What would you ask for? What would you ask for? Give you up to half the kingdom, anything you want. What would you and I, what would I say? So we see this is an opportune time because she jumps on this and says, give me the head of John the Baptist. But that phrase got me thinking this week. Where else in scripture have you seen that phrase? A strategic day or an opportune time. It actually shows up at the end uh, of, I think it's Luke's gospel, when the devil had tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And it says that the devil left Jesus, chapter four, for an opportune time. Okay, chapter five, he's not there. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10. I can go all the way to Luke 22 till he shows up again. This reminder, and listen, I, there are several things I disagree with in The Passion of the Christ, but one thing that movie got right is the devil is always lurking and seeking somebody who he can, can, can devour. He is in the shadows waiting for an opportune time. So you read Luke's gospel, the devil's gone. You should be terrified throughout the rest of the gospel when he's coming back. And in Luke 22, it's in and through Judas that he returns. And again, that's an opportune time. 
All the religious leaders are in for the Passover. You've got a million people of religious fervor in the city. You've got the entire religious leaders who are there. And on top of that, Pilate, who won't have anything to do with these backwood religious zealots, he stays in Caesarea over on the coast where everything is highly cultured and sophisticated, but I better get up there for Passover because you never know what these people are going to do. And you've got the political power in the city now as well. Perfect opportune time. That's when the devil will come. Matter of fact, as we go back to Luke chapter 4, to the, to the temptation in the wilderness, that's exactly when the devil comes for Jesus. Now we know that Jesus is led or compelled to go to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, but it's a perfect day, an opportune time for the devil to pounce. Why? Why is it the absolute perfect time for the devil to try to come and get Jesus? What had Jesus been doing for 40 days? Fasting. And what's one of the three temptations? Yeah, you want some stones to bread? Oh, y'all aren't hungry yet, but now some of y'all want a brunch because I said bread. Forty days of fasting and somebody brings up food? Come on, Methodists, I know y'all. That'd be a hard, that'd be a hard pushback. I know me, actually. <laughs> that'd be a hard pushback. And then on top of that, praise, praise God that Jesus never does life alone except for this moment and then the prayer in the garden. He's rarely alone, but this is the, one of the few moments he's alone. It's an opportune time to pick him off. It's a reminder to us, for us to be very careful with our lives and not get alone. Um, again, Scripture says the devil's a roaming lion. What does a lion do? He picks off the one in the herd that's either weak or wounded. Have you been hurt? That could be an opportune time for the devil to come. Or are you prideful, as Herod is prideful here, being silly with his life and just kind of wanders away from wisdom and he gets alone and he gets picked off right in front of everybody. He gets picked off. We cannot do life alone. So you see it here in Luke 4 as well as in Luke 22. The devil, our enemy, the lion, the roaring lion, roaming lion, he picks opportune times. I don't know what that is for you. But it's important for us to think through that. If you're going through a rough patch in this pandemic in business, I'm sure it has been a frustrating and scary time. Boy, that seems like an opportune time. John Oswalt this past week at, in our Bible study even mentioned, you know what? You know when's another tough time? When things are going great. When business is great. Family is great. And we begin to get prideful or we kind of relax. And he swoops in carefully and quietly. I don't know what that is for you. But we see here, Herod gets picked off. He, he's really confounded and really surprised by this temptation that, he, that gets dropped on him. Confused, confounded, but I think the last word would just be he gets caught. You can see it in verse 23 as well as verse 26. He gets caught by his silly words, his rash oaths. And then in verse 26, he gets caught by these guests. You ever said anything without thinking? Yeah? You ever paid a price for that? Or here's the scary part, and here's the hard part. Did somebody else pay a price for that? Because that's what happens here. I think my first or second year, we had gone through the book of Judges on Wednesday night, and it's one of the worst stories in all of Scripture. Jephthah lets fear get the best of him. He's worried about those sons of Ammon, and so he, and we've, I've done it, you've done it. God, I want to make a... It's almost like... 
not a covenant. I want to make a bet with you. If I do, if I, you do for me, then I'll do for you. You take care of the sons of Ammon, and then I'll give you whatever just comes out of my, the doors of my house. Not over the hill, not down the pathway, out of my house. He's letting fear make him say silly things. If you remember that story, when the doors do come open, when God frees him and wins the battle, it's his only child. It's his daughter with tambourines and dancing. It's one of the saddest moments. Maybe this, it's one of the sadder moments in all of Scripture as to how another person pays the price for somebody's rash words and oaths. And you see it here as well. He feared John the Baptist. He enjoyed listening to him. But because of what Salome does, he gets carried away and says something quickly and somebody else pays a price for that. And I don't think he was just rash. I think scripture says he's not only rash in what he promises, but he's rash in not stepping up and taking those words back. He was cowardly. He was cowardly because of the, the crowds. And really, that's the other way he gets caught. Listen, Herod has no problem making people mad. He had built an ancient cemetery, uh, I mean, excuse me, his capital on top of an ancient cemetery. You don't think the locals were furious about that? To desecrate that holy place? Yeah, just build on top of that. He had gone to Augustus on multiple occasions to be called king. Now, Mark here says king, but I think it's tongue-in-cheek because other gospels call him a tetrarch. tetrarch. Uh, but he goes to Augustus and says, hey, make me king. And eventually he gets punted and exiled because of that. He's got no problem making people upset. But to be embarrassed in front of these military leaders on this day? I'm going to cover myself and let John pay the price. Ever since Genesis 3, when we have covered our sin and covered our shame, other people have paid a horrific price. And you see it here as well. He won't, he won't let himself in front of these crowds be embarrassed. He won't come clean. And so somebody else pays. It's not just Herod. It's everybody here is confused by Jesus. Never been anybody like this before. Who could this be? And so they kind of cloud and mix up spiritual things. Church, how is it you and I in an age of that too need to be sharper with what we believe so we can minister to our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors better? How is it you and I need to look at our lives and say, Oh, this could be an opportune time, and I'm going to shore up my defenses. Again, this week with Dr. Oswald. That's how Egypt fell. We're studying the life of Joseph. They knew their enemies would come from the north. you got the desert over here. you got the falls of the Nile over here. You've got the Red Sea over here. Anytime enemies come, like those, that Semite pharaoh that had come down and was pharaoh then during Joseph's time, we know you're coming from that way, but they didn't shore it up. How is it you and I need to shore up those times where we know this is where I, I get tempted. This is where I've been hurt or for different reasons I get alone and, and he can come at an opportune time. But then again, lastly, how do I need to take every thought captive but also every word captive? Because of his rash words and also because of his fear of embarrassment, others pay a price. How is it you and I need to respond to this God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to be in your word. 
to see again that even in spite of the hurt of losing John the Baptist and and even in the face of death that Jesus marched on to his cross for us. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for that. But we also pray that we would respond uh, to what we see here in the scripture this morning, that you would, you would help us uh, not to be confused, to be, to be clear with you, but also with others about our faith and what we believe, that we would do that work, that we would be careful with our lives, not, not to be tricked, but to be always watchful And also, Father, would you help us by your Spirit and in response to your word, help us to guard what we say, help us to to not shrink back because of the crowds, but to to stand up, to stand up and and if times even to confess so that others won't pay the price. Thank you for this, your word. Now bless our response to it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.